Appreciate that. And I appreciate uh, all the ministry that's going on in the church. You know, when I first planted the church and, and started the pastor, this is the first full-time pastor that I've ever had. And so it was kind of like going in eyes wide shut. Uh, didn't really know exactly what I was going to do. All I knew was is that I loved the Bible and whatever I did, I wanted to keep it in line with the scriptures. And so therefore, we have to continually be examining who God has called us to be and doing things that God has called us to do in order to correct or to uh, encourage or to uh, put emphasis on certain things. We've done a lot of things right. We've done some things wrong. We've corrected some. We've left some the same. So uh, we continue to progress. We continue uh, to redefine and to specify God's call on my life and on the life of the church and the leaders and the ministry that's going on within the church. And I pray that as a people, you're continually watching the leadership of the church, helping them to know how they can do better, but also following them as they follow the Lord. You know, one of the big problems in America, in the world in general, but really in our American culture is that we've lost all respect for authority uh, whatsoever. We have no ability or desire at least, which our, des our abilities flow out of our, our desires lots of times, but we have no ability or desire to follow those who are in front of us that are doing the right things. Now, I'm all about not following those who are not doing the right things. That's not what I'm speaking of. But even those who would lead us in a right manner, we have a really hard time following them, listening to the things that God is telling us through them and applying them to our lives in such a way that it would be real in our lives. You know what I'm saying, Sean? So if there's something that, that God, someone that God has put over you or put in your path that is an authority, that is a godly authority that would breathe life into you, you need to understand that submitting to that authority is good for you and it's not a bad thing. You see, we have a problem because we want to be the authority. We walk around with our chest poked out. Nobody can tell me what to do. But the problem is a lot of us are really stupid. And we need people to tell us what to do because we're really stupid, right? I'm really stupid in a lot of areas. I really am. I need someone to help me to understand how things work sometimes in different areas of my life. I need to submit to those who have more understanding, who have more wisdom, who have more discernment, who have better skills or giftedness in that area. I need to understand that I am not all that in a bag of chips, right, Matt? We need to submit to the authorities that God has placed over us and be glad to do so. Because, you know, the Lord could have blessed you with zero good leaders to follow. Now, many of you are sitting out there and you're thinking, well, I would like to have some good leaders to follow, but I don't know how to follow. That's a really, really tough thing in our culture because many of our parents have not made their kids follow. They have actually followed their kids. You say, no, they hadn't. No, they, yes, they have. When I'm in Walmart and I see a two-year-old flip out, and the mom or the dad says, oh, what would you like for me to do? What, anything, anything, please, just stop, please. It's almost like we were in D.C. Uh, yesterday, and I saw, now if you do this, I'm praying for you. I saw a lady walking a dog with a bag of poop in her hand. Oh, no. If aliens were watching from above and they saw you following your dog around, cleaning up his poop, who is the master 
And who is the servant? I'm, I'm just saying. You see, lots of times we bow down to our children. And sometimes our children need to be cuddled and loved. And I do that to my kids a lot. As, as a matter of fact, as much as I possibly can. I heard a, a, a great man one time say, be careful with your no's. Give as many yeses as you can so that when you give a no, it means something. But when it's time to say no, it's time to say no. And when, now I'm going somewhere with this. We're in the book of Nehemiah, okay? When you look at your child, I've seen people do this, and I might step on some toes. If I see you do the three thing with your kids, and you don't go to three, I'm counting to three on you. <laughs> How many times have I heard, I told you get over here, one Two, two and a quarter, two and a half, two and, two and three quarters. Oh, good grief. Uh-uh. I established long ago, when I get to two, I'm going to three. And when I hit three, somebody's crying. That's all I know. Now... Let me preach a universal truth right here. Since I have established that three is painful, it's been years since I've got to three. Because when I say two, they're moving. Amen? Establish. Amen. Listen, y'all can clap on that. Go ahead. Yeah. Hey, I don't like to spank my kids, but I will. Because it's good for them. Listen, I'm going to tell you something right now. If our parents would have disciplined their children 30 years ago, we would not have what's going on today. Amen. Spare the rod, spoil the child. We got a bunch of brats running around here. And they need a good whooping. And the reason I guess the Lord had led me to say all of that is because we're in Nehemiah chapter 13. And Nehemiah knows how to lay a whooping on somebody. Have you ever read the story? Man, if you ain't never read the story, you got to read this story. David, you ever read the story? You're going to like this story. You like, you, you like that story, don't you? All right, let me get it quick because this is so good. And this tells us where we need to be, okay? Now, we got to get the historical context, where we are in Nehemiah. Let's figure out what God can teach us. And we might actually spend a little while in Nehemiah. I've just studied the whole book in the past two weeks. And I've, the Lord just kept giving me nugget after nugget after nugget after nugget. And I thought, I need to share that with the people that God has entrusted me with. And so today we're going to look at Nehemiah kind of as a whole. I'm going to run through really quickly. I'm going to tell you the story. I'm going to give you some uh, truths that you can hang on to, apply to your life. Watch it start to unfold things that you never expected in your life. And then I think I'm probably in the next few weeks, I'm going to stay here for just a little while and let it, let it kind of, let it kind of reminisce or, or, or just kind of uh, 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 just, just wash over us. You know, I want, I want to just get this, this idea of what's, what God's got for us in Nehemiah. I want it to just wash over us. Okay. So before I get into the word, I want to pray for the word and pray that it would just come down and just ravage your heart because that's what we need. We don't need some, you know, nice, you know, funny sermon. We need somebody. 
somebody's heart to just be ravaged in this place. So let's pray for that. Jesus, I thank you so much for your word. I pray, God, that it would come in uh, like a thief in the night and steal us away. God, I pray that we'd be wrapped up so tight in the word of God that we wouldn't know which way to go except toward you. I pray, God, that it would clarify, that it would give us vision, that it would give us wisdom, that it would give us discernment, that we'd be able to test every spirit in our life by the word that we hear today. I pray, God, that it would just be written on our hearts, that it would ravage our hearts, and it would make us new men and women of God, that we might say, wow, we found the word today, and it changed us. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, as I've been reading Nehemiah, I have learned so much on what should be done in the church because he establishes uh, routines and he establishes principles that I believe should be established in the church. One of which is when Ezra comes back and he reads the book of the law of the people, everybody stands up in respect to the word. So let us stand up in respect for the word as I read the word of God. We're in Nehemiah chapter 13, and I'm going to read a little bit for you from verses 19 to 27, and I want you to be praying uh, that the Lord would uh, write this on your heart as I read. As soon as it began to grow dark at the gates of Jerusalem before the Sabbath, I commanded that the doors should be shut and gave orders that they should, be, that they should not be opened until after the Sabbath. And I stationed some of my servants at the gates that no load might be brought in on the Sabbath day. Then the merchants and sellers of all kinds uh, of, of wares lodged outside Jerusalem once or twice. But I warned them and said to them, why do you lodge outside the wall? If you do so again, I will lay hands on you. That's one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible. From that time on, they did not come in on the Sabbath. Then I commanded the Levites that they should purify themselves and come and guard the gates to keep the Sabbath day holy. Remember this also in my favor, O my God, and spare me according to the greatness of your steadfast love. Listen to this. In those days also, I saw the Jews, the people of God, I saw the Jews who had married women of Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab, foreign lands with foreign gods, and half of their children spoke the language of the Ashdod, and they could not speak the language of Judah, but only the language of each people. And I confronted them and cursed them and beat some of them and pulled out their hair. And I made them take an oath in the name of God, saying, you shall not give your daughters to their sons sons or take their daughters for your sons or for yourselves. Did not Solomon, king of Israel, sin on account of such women? <laughs> Did not Solomon, king of Israel, sin on account of such women? Among the many nations, there was no king like him, and he was beloved by his God, and God made him king over, Israel, over all Israel. Nevertheless, foreign women made even him to sin. Shall we then listen to you and do all this great evil and act treacherously against our God by marrying foreign women? May God bless the reading and the hearing of his word. You may be seated. Now, you might be saying, well, I thought this was a sermon on uh, following authority. Now you're talking about crazy women who lead men astray. Well, listen. Crazy women are a problem in our society. But that's not what we're talking about today. The, the foreign women in these lands are really representative of something at this time since Jesus Christ has fulfilled the law. We'll touch on that a little bit. But I want to show you a few things out of the book of Nehemiah that I think that we can apply to our churches today and really that we can apply to our own lives as individuals that if we apply these things, we would see a growth in manhood and in womanhood and in parenthood. Basically, that we would see a Christian growth that would make us better men and women of God that 
that could do more for the kingdom of God, even here on earth, even in our nation, even in our state and our city, our family, okay? So what I want to do is I want to open up the Bible to Nehemiah chapter 13. We're going to move around a little bit in the book, and I want to draw out just some points and kind of unpack these verses for you. So uh, uh, just three things, three or four things I want to show you here out of the book of Nehemiah, and we'll just kind of let the Lord go wherever the Lord wants to go. So as we see here in Nehemiah, I want you to look and see what he's teaching us here out of Nehemiah chapter 13. He says, as soon as it began to grow dark at the gates of Jerusalem before the Sabbath, I commanded that the doors should be shut and gave orders that they should not be opened until after the Sabbath. Let me give you a little bit of background on what's going on here. You see, Nehemiah was, uh, he was an Israelite, he was a Jew, and he was called to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem in order to fortify the city or to protect the city that had been in ruins for so long. The, the Israelites had went into captivity, some into Babylon, some into Assyria. The, the city had been destroyed, it had been ransacked, and Persia then ruled over uh, Jerusalem. And the king of Persia did not want Jerusalem to rise up out of the ashes because he knew that it would, that it would come against or threaten his kingdom. So he did not want God's people to rise up. I'll read for you really quickly in Ezra chapter 4 because this will set a little bit of foundation for something else that we're going to read. So in Ezra chapter 4, if you can keep up with me, I'm sorry if I have to move a little quickly. But in, in Ezra chapter 4, this was uh, the letter that was sent to King Artaxerxes, who was the king of Persia. Now, is everybody following the story so far? Nehemiah was actually cupbearer to the king, Artaxerxes, in Persia, but he had received a letter that Jerusalem was in shambles and no one was there to take care of the city. He was moved in his heart to do so, but he didn't know if he'd be able to because Artaxerxes, he didn't think, would let him do so. Okay? Now, Artaxerxes had not been favorable to uh, Jerusalem or God's people. As a matter of fact, he had decreed that the walls would not be built back and that God's people could not come back together because he was scared of them. In Ezra chapter 4, the book before Nehemiah, now Ezra is a contemporary of Nehemiah, and Ezra is actually the scribe or the priest. And he handled the word of God. He handled the cleansing practices and who would be uh, in the priestly function, the Levites and Aaron and all these types of things, when the temple would be reinstated. And Nehemiah, was a, he would turn out to be the governor or the leader of that, that area, the, the administrator, somewhat like a type of king or a governor over that area. So this is what happened before the whole story with Nehemiah. And mighty kings have been over to, listen to that, let's go back to 417. The king sent an answer to Rahum, the commander and Shimshai, the scribe, and the rest of their associates who live in Samaria uh, and in the rest of the province beyond the river outside of Persia. Greeting. And now the letter that you sent to us has been plainly read before me, and I made a decree and search has been made, and it has been found that this city from of old has risen against kings, and that rebellion and sedition has been made in it. Now, what's going on is, is that uh, Jerusalem is trying to be rebuilt, the kingdom is trying to be rebuilt, uh, but these, uh, uh, these ones that would come against wrote a letter to the king and said, look, we've searched this out. We've done our homework, we've done our history, and uh, the Israelites in times past have become very powerful. 
And if you allow them to become powerful again, they will overthrow you. They have threatened every kingdom that has been around them when they have been in power. Okay? This is basically what he's telling them. And mighty kings have been over Jerusalem, who ruled over the whole province beyond the river, to whom tribute, custom, and toll were paid. Therefore, talking to the king, this is the letter, therefore make a decree that these men be made to cease, and that this city be not rebuilt until a decree is made by me, and take care not to be slack in this matter, why should damage grow to hurt of the king, to the hurt of the king? So Artaxerxes makes a decree, and he says, this work is to stop. This work is to stop. Now, I don't want to go too far into parallels and all this type of stuff. I'm going to tell you right now, there are a whole troop of those who would like to see the work of the Lord stop. They want to see our church stop. They want to see our churches stop. They want to see Christians shut up. The me- Let me tell you, and, and listen, you don't have to take my word for it, okay? The media, the political uh, regime, the, uh, the atheists, the school systems, praise God for Landrum, but it's coming this way. I've had to deal with it lately. All of them, all of them are after us. Now, the only question is, they're not really after, they are after us, but they're after God. You see, they know the truth, but they suppress it in unrighteousness. And though they know what's wrong, they not only do these things, but they, what? They condone those that do the same thing. So now we have abortion that is legalized. Uh, The marriage is on law. The, the, The laws on marriage. Marriage redefined. To, to destroy the nuclear family, which is the building blocks of how God built this nation and any nation for that matter. So we are under attack. We are absolutely under attack. But the question is, how do we then combat this attack? The Bible says that we do not wage war as the world wages war, but do we wage war? Absolutely. I mean, the whole premise of don't do war this way necessarily suggests that we do war this way. Okay? So we are in a war. The only question is, how do we fight the war? Now, let me tell you, the answer is found here because they were coming against Nehemiah as well. And and the, the decree had already went out. Make them stop. Make them stop. No prayer here. No doing anything there. Stop everything. Stop. There is no God. God is dead trying to stop us they're trying to stop us but let me show you how the work started again let me show you how the work started again now listen to this it all started with a man of God and the call of God on his life it all started with a child of God hearing the call of the Lord and answering the call. Now, let me tell you something right now. It may look like a hopeless battle. It may look like this, this, this giant, this enemy is too big to overcome. But I'm going to tell you right now, greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. We're not fighting a war to win it. We're fighting a war to show the victor. He's already won the fight. Listen to this. In the month of Nisan, 
in the month of Honda, in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had not been sad in his presence, and the king said to me, why is your face sad, seeing that you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness of the heart, the king said. Then I was very much afraid. You see, you don't have to be uh, as, uh, you know, unafraid, uh, bold as a lion. You know, it, it's scary sometimes to step out on, on your own, isn't it? It's scary sometimes. Courage, courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is doing what you need to do in the presence of fear. Amen? Everybody's scared. Everybody. The ones who say they aren't scared are hiding their fear and showing they're more afraid than the ones who would say. You've heard it said it's easier to walk away from a, I mean, it's easier to fight. It's harder to walk away from a fight. Amen. I'd rather fight than lose the pride war. He goes on, listen to this. He says, why is your heart? He says, it's, this is a heart thing. This is nothing but the sadness of the heart. Then I was much afraid. I said to the king, let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad when the city of the place of my father's graves lies in ruin and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Then the king said to me, what are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven, and I said to the king, If it pleases the king, if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you send me to Judah and the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. This is the exact same king that just decreed that all buildings cease and stop. He said, that I, Send me so that I may rebuild it. Let me go. And the king said to, to me, the queen sitting beside him, how long, will it, how long will you be gone, and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me when I had given him a time. Listen to this. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king. Now he said, can I go? And the king's like, how long are you going to be gone? He said, such and such amount of time. Okay, you can go. Now, that was a miracle. Because he said, no. He had sent a decree out. This would be the revocation of a decree. He would be going out back on a king's decree. That's a miracle in and of itself, but listen. And the king said to me, how long will you be gone? So it pleased the king to send me. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given to me to governors of the province beyond the river that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah. And a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress of the house that I shall occupy. And the king granted me what I asked for the good hand of my God was upon me you see not only did he ask that he could go and do it and the king said okay he also said write a letter that would give me your authority as I went back to do what you said could not be done and write a letter that would then tell those that you, those forests that you own, that they were to give me all the materials that I need to rebuild the wall. So let me go prepare the way and fund the building. This king who had decreed it shall cease. God moved on Nehemiah, moved on Artaxerxes. Now he is going to allow it, pave the way, and pay for it. Let me tell you something. I know that it looks 
unsurmountable. It looks like this mountain that we're facing in this country and in our world is that it can't be overcome. But don't you know that faith the size of a mustard seed will move a mountain? God knows everything you're dealing with, everything our city's dealing with, everything our world's dealing with. God knows it. Now, what we see here is the first foundational principle that we find that will rebuild or uh, build a ministry or a uh, kingdom growth uh, 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 movement. And what is that? Hearing the call, that is empowered by God. Those are key. Without the vision and without the empowerment, it's dead in the water. Many, 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 many churches have started and failed. As a matter of fact, it's some overwhelming number. Over 85% of churches fail within the first three years. The vast majority. God is not calling you just to do something. God is calling every single one of you to do a certain thing, and you need to figure out what that is. Now, you may have several different gifts or talents or abilities, but you are to seek God. Get on your face. Find what moves you in your heart and put your hand to the plow. God will bless it. God will empower it. And if God is calling it, he will make it happen, and you do not need to fear. Now, with respect to our churches and respect to what this is calling in my life, I had to set up that foundation because this is the foundation that will empower the work that Nehemiah will do and how we are to start any work that we as individuals or we as a team, like the bucket groups, the greeters, whatever else, that this is the way that we are to set it up that it would progress and grow and do what God has called it to do. That it's to be built on the vision of God and the empowerment of God. We have to be in tune with the Holy Spirit to see these things. You can't see them otherwise. But here I want to draw out a few other things uh, that must be present in any ministry or any pursuit to build the kingdom. And that is, number one, you've got to have the Word of God. You've got to have the Word of God. What is our standard? You see, the Word of God is absolutely called into question in every place that I know of now. Even in a lot of our so-called evangelical churches, the inerrancy and the infallibility of the Bible is called into question, and therefore, our whole authority is called into question on why we can say what we say and it have power. This is the whole problem with authority. We believe in something that's called sola scriptura. And what that is, is that the Bible in and of itself is all we need and is sufficient to salvation and is sufficient to teach us how to live our lives. We do not believe that we can't get truths elsewhere. We do believe that we can learn certain truths by looking into nature, by, by examining things and seeing things. That's, that's fine. But what we do believe is that even those things, even natural law, even common sense things must be tested by the word of God to see whether or not they are really true. 
I say all this to say that the Bible is our foundational piece by which we grow or build anything. That is your family, that is this church, that is ministry, that is this nation. If it is to succeed, we must have the Word of God. We must have the Word of God. Now, here in Nehemiah, you say, what what has that got to do with this? Here in Nehemiah, uh, and I'll just have just put that away. Listen, something happened in Nehemiah that transformed everything that he was going to do and everything that was going on in that day, in that city, in that place. Now, Many of you are in this place, and you are, you've come in here, and you've got issues, you've got problems, you've got uh, things in your life that are going on. You may be upside down emotionally, you may be upside down physically, you may be upside down psychologically, you may be upside down spiritually, but you come in here, and you're looking for some answers. I want to tell you right now that you can find the answers in the Word of God. The question is, and I'm about to give you some answers. The question is, will you apply it to your life and live according to the Word of God? This is the question. You see, in that day, let me read for you. In that day, they had found the book of the law. Now, you say they found it. Yes, the the Bible had been missing for forever. Jerusalem had been ransacked, the the city and all the Jews in the diaspora had been scattered around everywhere. They were in exile in, in different parts of the world. They had been scattered and the word of God had been lost. So upon returning to the city, Ezra actually finds the scrolls and they're like, oh, look at this, the, the Bible, the, the word of God. He actually finds the scrolls, he finds the word of God and he starts to read and he realizes Oh no, our life and our people are out of line with the word of God. So what we can learn uh, what we need to do as we read the word of God by what they did when they read the word of God. Listen to what it says here in in Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 14. I'm going to start in 13. On the second day, the heads of fathers' houses of all the people with the priests and the Levites came together to Ezra the scribe in order to study the words of the law, the Bible, in order to study the words of the law. And they found it written in the law that the Lord had commanded by Moses that the people of Israel should dwell in booze during the feast of the seventh month. Now, I'm not going to go into all that, but here's here's the issue. They pull out the Bible, and they start to have a Bible study. They start to to open up the Word of God. They start to read the Word of God with all the leaders of the day. And as they read the Word of God, it was revealed to them. They found in the Word that it contradicted or was counter to what was going on in their life. So what they did was they said, This Bible, this word of God is telling me that A is true, but I am doing B. And therefore, since the word of God says A is true, I'm going to stop doing B and I'm going to start doing A. Is this simple enough for everyone in the room? Now, I get discouraged from time to time because though I preach the word of God, 
every Sunday, and I speak to you day in and day out, many of you, about the Word of God. And I know that it has clearly, clearly been taught that so-and-so or this and that is a sin. You persist in that very same thing. I submit to you, if you want your life, your family, your church to reach the next level of kingdom passion and growth, that you listen to the word of God and that you do what it says. Don't just hear, be not hearers only, but be doers of the word. It says here, listen to this, in... uh, in 13, 1 through 3, I want you to watch this, and we're going to go back to 13 uh, later, what I was reading earlier on this. Listen to this. Okay, so we've established that we must have the vision from God. It must be a, a direct call. We must also be empowered by God through the power of the Holy Spirit, so we've got to be in tune with the Holy Spirit, and it's got to be built on the Word of God. And if you find that the Word of God is uh, uh, contrary to something that is in your life, you've got to stop. You've got to stop. You've got to stop. If it, whatever it might be, we had a young man stand up here the other day and tell us, confess before the whole congregation, which took so much courage and power that he was struggling with homosexuality and that we were pleased to pray for him, that he would have the freedom to overcome the temptation. What happened in that man's life? What happened in that young man's life? He was reading, he, the whole world, the whole world is saying, that's fine, that's fine, it's okay. But he read the Bible. And the word of God set up in his heart and it said, that what you feel, that what you see is not right. And he said, yes, Lord. The whole world is telling us that homosexuality is natural. It's the way you're made. It's the way that it should be. But God says it's not. What will you listen to? Not even our own feelings are to dictate what is right and what is wrong. It is God who sets that standard. That's a whole nother sermon of how it, if it's natural or not, if, if you're born that way. I'm writing actually a chapter in a book coming up that will talk about whether or not it was uh, uh, ability to do so or to not do so. As soon as that's done, I'll let you know. That's not the point here today. Many of you, it may not be homosexuality. That's the, that's the cultural big one right now. Many of you eat too much. I know I do. And many of you embrace that sin, and you get ferociously mad if anybody were to look at you while you're eating that humongous plate like I did yesterday and say, that is a sin. Some of you are sleeping with your girlfriends, and you're not married to them. That is a sin. Some of you hold on to your money so tight that your knuckles are turning red, and you're about to get a cramp. That is is a sin we laugh at it but it is do you know we we did all the uh and this is not a money thing i just happen to know these numbers because we just had a budget meeting do you know that the average person in church now i know that some of you give more but when we average it that the average person a month gives 100 dollars in a month and i know that a lot of you are giving a lot so some of you are giving nothing and you say, well, I don't have anything. Hey, that's between you and God. I'm not saying that, but I know some of you have plenty. But you love your money too much to give it up. 
Lust and fornication outside of marriage is the same thing. Uh, drugs, sex, rock and roll. We want to hold on to these things and we don't want to let them go when the word of God has said, this is what's right and what's wrong. We need to hear what he says and we need to lay down our sin and let it die at the foot of the cross. In, in uh, Nehemiah chapter 13 verses 1 through 3, I want you to read this. If you think I'm lying, just read along. On that day they read from the book of Moses. This is the Bible. On that day they read from the book of Moses in the hearing of the people, and in it was found written that no Amorite or Moabite should ever enter the assembly of God. For they did not meet the people of Israel with bread and water, but hired Balaam against them to curse them. Yet our God turned the curse into a blessing. As soon as the people heard the law, they separated from Israel all those of foreign descent. Now, you might say, well, that seems a little racist. Why would they, uh, is that water right there? <laughs> the Lord provided. You say, that seems a little racist. Why would they say you can't work, worship with, it, with other ethnicities? You've got to understand the time. Let's read the historical context in here. Uh, don't read and, and just catch first. You know, that, that happens all the time. That's a pet peeve of mine. At this point in time, God had given Levitical laws. He had given laws in Deuteronomy. He had given laws that the people of God, the Jews, were supposed to be of themselves, and they were not to let outsiders come in because they would invite foreign gods in. And this whole entire Levitical system, it was to portray that God's people were to be devoted to God and God alone, that they were not to allow other false gods and other influences to come in and influence them to where they did not follow God anymore. The right parallel here when it says that no foreigners were allowed to come in is to say that no sin was allowed to come in. You see, many of us are Christians and we just allow the enemy just to come on in. Come on in. Many of you, you, you claim to be Christians. Many of us claim to be Christians and we want to be Christian fathers and we want to be Christian husbands, but we invite the enemy in through pornography every other night. We allow the enemy to come in through greed and through, through selfishness. And we, we spend our money on everything in the world except for those who are in need. You cannot have your cake and eat it too if you're a Christian. If, you're a, if you say you're a Bible-believing Christian, when the Bible says something, do it. Let us live our lives according to the word of God. Now, how serious are we to be about living according to the word of God? We are to be as serious as it gets. Paul says, the life, now, the life that I now live, I live in Christ. The life I used to live, I am dead to that life. This is how serious we are to be about the word of God. In those days, this is Nehemiah 13, 23 through 25. In those days, also I saw the Jews who had married women of Ashdod, Ammon, and the Moab, and half of their children spoke the language of Ashdod, and they could not speak the language of Judah, but only the language of each people. You see, what he's saying here is, is that I'm coming to your house. 
I'm talking to you. You're a Jew. You're a man of God. You're a woman of God. You say that you're a Christian, but I walk in your house and your children have no idea what the Bible says. They speak the language of the world. They don't speak the language of the word of God. They don't know who Jesus is. They don't get to understand what, sat- what sacrifice is and what salvation is and what the cross is. I'm coming to your house and I'm walking through and I'm looking at everything you've got set up in your house and I can't see Jesus anywhere. Nehemiah says, I'm sitting here talking to the Jews and, and their children. They only know languages outside that of the people of God. What are we teaching our children? What standards are we setting? What are we breathing into our children? Are we teaching them the ways of the Lord? Or are we worldly? You see, he says, I'm looking at them and half of their children spoke the language of Ashdod and they could not speak the language of Judah, but only the language of each people. And I confronted them and I cursed them and beat some of them and pulled out their hair. Wesley, come up here. Let's demonstrate that. <laughs> Just kidding. I ain't got much to pull out. Amen. You see, what Nehemiah is saying here is, is that you've got the world all over you. You've got everything that is in. You need to stop. Take stock of your life and put the whooping on something in your life. You got to get the sin out. You got to go to war. Jesus would say it this way, if your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. If your TV causes you to watch porn, throw it out the front door. I'm not even kidding. Now, don't really cut your hand off, because every man in here will be like this. (laughs) We all walk around with pencils out of our eyes. (laughs) But what he's saying is we got to get radical against sin, right? We got to get radical when it comes to sin. Stop holding on to your sin. This is preaching to me too, Christian. This is preaching to me. I got things in my life. You got things in your life. Get serious about it. You got to pray. Ask the Lord to make a way. Did it look like Nehemiah had a way? He was cupbearer to King Artaxerxes who had already made a kingly decree. That the work was to cease. He goes in trembling because he believed the Lord and he wanted his people. Do you go before the Lord trembling? You, say, you know, the Bible says in Philippians chapter 2, it says, uh, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. You see, Nehemiah knew that his people needed salvation. He knew that, that, that it would only come by the rebuilding of God's place. That it would only become or come be by the reinstitution of the word of God and he came in fear and trembling but the second part of that verse in Philippians chapter 2 says that work out your salvation with fear and trembling for it is God who is at work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure you see you see Nehemiah went before the king in fear and trembling but it was God it was God who was at work both to will and to work for his good pleasure. You see, guys, Jesus Christ is your righteousness. You know, we can come in here and and I can say, you need to stop doing this, you need to stop doing that, you need to stop doing this, you need to stop doing that, and you do. You know, you you got kids that are sleeping around. 
You teenage kids sleeping around, and, 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 and some do that. But the sad thing is there's some parents who are cool with that. You letting her boyfriend sleep over at your daughter's house in her room? You letting your son go over to his girlfriend's house and stay overnight? You encouraging sin? I'm just telling you right now. You want to come write me an email? Write it to I really don't care dashlandrums.com. My wife's sitting way back there and not up here. She can't get to me that quick. Hey, look, I'm not trying to judge you. I'm trying to keep you from the pits of hell. I'm trying to keep your children from going down that hole of pregnancy at the age of 13. If I'm lying, I'm dying. I'm trying to help you to see that the word of God is the only way. Now, what if I've messed up, Brandon? What if I was the one that got pregnant at 13? What if I was the one that went down that road of drugs and alcohol? What if, what if I've been a parent now for 15 years and I have blown it? I have not set the example. What do I do now? It's real easy. It won't be easy to walk out, but it'll be easy to start. You do what Nehemiah did. Open up the Bible. When you see where it is contrary to your life, you get your kids over there and you apologize. You ask their forgiveness. How many times have I asked for the forgiveness of my kids? And you say, look, mommy hadn't done it right. Daddy hadn't done it right. But I'm reading in the word of God, which is my authority over me. And it is telling me that this is how I need to lead you. And I'm going to do it. Will you help me? Can we walk together in this? If you've blown it, you need to understand that we've all blown it. You need to understand that the one standing before you has went to jail nine times before he was 20 years old. You need to understand that the one standing before you has uh, been in a ditch literally because of his meth addiction. You need to understand that the one standing before you has stolen cars and broke into houses and stolen checkbooks and wrote checks all over town so that I could then go get more meth because I'd only been up five days. You need to understand that I am not a righteous man apart from Christ. You need to understand that we are not made righteous on our own righteousness, but on his. For he who knew no sin became sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God. You see, Nehemiah was commissioned by God and then enabled by man to go and build the kingdom of God again. You see, Jesus Christ was called by God. And he voluntarily came into this world in your place. You see, I'm not telling you to man up like Nehemiah did. Not in so much as you need to put your big boy panties on. But I'm telling you that apart from Christ, you have no opportunity nor ability 
to be the man or woman of God that he has called you to be. But, but, if you will, now listen to this. This call goes out to every single one of you. I know, I know that if you would only submit yourself to the King of Kings and the word that has been revealed to us on high, that he would change your life. That he would set you in a different place. That he would make a way for you. That he would, as the author, the pioneer and perfecter of your faith, that he has come into the world to clear the way for you to experience relationship with God. And if you would come and walk in that relationship. Now, some of you are saying, I've already been saved. I'm already going to heaven. I am not even talking about that. Going to heaven is a byproduct of what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a personal relationship with the King of Kings. I'm talking about submitting and putting your face to the ground in adoration and humility before our great God and King, Jesus Christ. I'm speaking of giving everything away in every aspect of life. You see, because it was Jesus Christ who has overcome the world. And those who believe in Christ and live according to His Word will find that they overcome the world as well. Are you living in brokenness this morning? Are you living in defeat? Are you living in addiction? Are you living in slavery to the desires of the world, to the desires of the flesh? Are you the one who spends your money on everything in the world but nothing for God? Are you the one that, 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 that sleeps around? Are you the one that is having sex with your girlfriend and need to get married already? Are you the one that will not lead your children? Are you the one that, that wants to give them everything in the world that they want because you don't want them to be mad at you? Are you the one that's a slave? We could put a million different things in the place of pornography or homosexuality or addiction or success. The question is, are you a slave in here? I am calling you out of slavery and into leadership. Jesus Christ is calling you out of slavery and into leadership. You see, he has the one. He is the one that has made the way. Will you answer the call? Our families, our city, our state, our nation need you to answer the call of Jesus Christ. Not just in word, but in deed. The question is, what do you want to do with that? Some of you, you need for me to pray over you. You need the Lord in your life. You need for others to pray over you because something's got a hold of you. You want to be set free, but something's got a hold of you. I know that, uh, Kathy, you want to come on up here? There are real issues in the world. There are real issues in the room right now. And Kathy is a friend of mine. She's one of our young ladies here at the church who loves Jesus and she's pursuing him and she's trying to live for God. And she's even wrote a couple of books and she wants to do what God's called her to do. But it's okay if I share that Kathy, she struggles with depression. Do you think Kathy wants to be depressed? You know, a lot of people say, well, I don't want to be like this, but I don't want to be like this, but now there are a lot of things that could be 
natural cause that, and I'm sure you've looked into that and, and, and some of that, but she wants prayer. She wants us to lay hands on her and pray that God would set her free from worry and anxiety, from thinking thoughts about herself that are really not true. You see, Kathy, you have all of your dignity and all of your identity and all of your worth in Jesus Christ. And you know that the worth is faithful to the end because if, Kathy, look at me, if, if there would have ever been a moment where Jesus Christ, see, don't you believe that he knows all things? That he looks down the corridor of time and it doesn't exist to him? That he sees then, he sees now, and he sees then? You believe that? He sees all, right? You see, since he sees all, he sees any sin that you might have had and any sin that you are going to have. If there would have ever been a moment in time where he thought she's not worth it, since he knows all things, he would have come down off the cross at that time. But the fact that he stayed on the cross whispers in your ear, you're worth it. That you are worth it. And if you were the, if you're the only one in the history of the world, you'd have been worth it. You don't have to ever think about worth again or identity again. Now, we will. Don't we all struggle from time to time with the same thing? We're going to pray for Kathy. I want to pray for you because some of you, you find your worth, you find your identity, you're finding your call in the things of the world. But that's not where we are to find it. Some of you guys in here, you think that without sex or without drugs or without whatever that you, you'll lose who you are. Well, praise the Lord. God will find you where you are. And he will make you who you are supposed to be. Amen. We're going to pray for Kathy. And I want to invite anybody up that would like for us to pray for you that you're struggling with some type of sin, some type of slavery, some type of slave master that is over you. Jesus Christ is freedom. Jesus is the greater Nehemiah who made a way. Jesus is the greater Nehemiah who went to the mat with Jacob. Jesus is the one who pulls out the hair of your sin. He's the one that slams it to the floor and drags it across the floor. You remember when he went into the temple flipping over chairs and driving them out. You see, that's what happens. Jesus Christ comes into your heart. He comes into your life. He comes into you, and he drives out all those imposters, taking them to the ground, ripping out their hair. They're running like crazy. It's Jesus Christ that sets us free. So as the lights come down, and as anybody else would come forward, Mark, I want you to come up here and help me pray. Keith come, on. Keith, come up here and help me pray. Phil, come on. Help me pray, please. Anybody else would come and, and, and want us to pray for you as well? We're just going to open this thing up. And as these guys uh, continue in this last worship song, I want to open up uh, uh, the invitation. Some of you in here are struggling with some massive things and you think they can't be overcome. The only way it can't be overcome is if you hold on to it. That's it. So come, come. Do not harden your hearts today. Come, come. Let's worship. The altar is open.